0: In May of 2002, Leonardo Diaz, a Colombian hiker, decided to do some serious mountain climbing with some of his friends. On the second day of the climb, an unexpected major blizzard hit, and uh, Diaz lost sight of his friends, and he was separated from them. He wasn't initially worried, but he was a novice mountain climber, and Soon he began to run out of rations, and soon he began to suffer from the bitter cold. And although he had his cell phone in his backpack, his prepaid minutes had already expired. And he had no way to signal for help. And he was out of food, and he was cold, and he was in deep trouble. He realized he was not going to make it. And so there he lay in the frigid snow... Preparing to die. And then his cell phone rang. It was a phone solicitor from Bogota wanting to know if Diaz was interested in purchasing more minutes. True story. The operator later said, Yeah, we called him to remind him that his minutes had expired and you know, and and all I heard him was scream. Joy! He was out of, he he said it was the work of an angel because he was stuck in the Andes. And Diaz described his location to the caller and uh, asked his family if if they would notify a search and rescue team. And so the, the phone company kept him on the phone and kept him awake every 30 minutes for the next seven hours when the rescuers finally came true story. It's a great story to describe the word I want us to talk about today, and it is the word joy. Joy. Now, what do you think of when you think of the word joy? Is joy to you what happens on uh, Christmas morning when the kids rip open the gifts and scream shouts of joy? Joy. Maybe joy is the joy that a parent feels when their child has graduated and they can get a job and, you know, they're off the dole. Joy. <laughs> joy. What's joy to you? Well, joy are those things. And, and, if it's anything, it's this right here. I want to throw... a uh, One sentence definition of how God understands joy. Very simple. Joy is God's unexpected blessing which gives us inescapable well being. Joy, God's unexpected blessing that gives inescapable well being. It's unexpected. We didn't see it coming. It's a joy that just came right out of the blue. It, it ambushed us. And all of a sudden, you know, I mean, we're in another land. We were rescued. We're, we were ready to lie down in the frigid snow. And then this blessing happened. The cell phone rang. An unexpected blessing. Which means it came from outside of ourselves. So the joy that God is talking about is not the kind of joy that you can kind of concoct on your own. It's the kind of joy that can only come from outside yourself. And it's a blessing. It's a gift. It's, a, it's for our benefit. It's for our good. Who, God's good, pleasing, and perfect will benefits us and gives us His good. And it's a gift that keeps giving and giving and giving. And, and what kind of Gift is it in inescapable well-being. The kind of well-being that the psalmist speaks of in Psalm 23. when He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. I can't see you, God. I'm in this deepest, darkest valley. I can't even see my hand in front of my face. But I know you're with me. Just because I can't see you doesn't mean you're not there. And I have inescapable, inescapable well-being that somehow I'm going to be okay. And not just I'm going to be okay, but everything, everything, everything's going to be okay. There's a God, and he's in charge, and it's to my well-being. Joy, unexpected blessing, giving inescapable well-being. Does that make sense? All right. Now, if you'll just take that little definition, it will help you read your Bible. Because the Bible is all about joy. It's all about unexpected blessings which give inescapable well-being. Beginning in the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, When God takes our spiritual ancestors, Adam and Eve, and places them in the temple garden of Eden, this this garden park of delight, and he sets them there as priests, his representatives, his mediators to all creation, and they are to rule and to fill. So they are priestly kings, Adam and Eve, and they have unspeakable joy. Uh, uh, inexpressible joy as they relate with God and relate with one another and relate with their environment and it's, it's, it's all that it's meant to be and then they chose poorly and they sought their joy outside of God you see while joy is always found outside ourselves it's never found outside of God ever ever and when adam and eve sought their joy outside of god their their in, inescapable joy became broken joy and their indescribable peace became ruptured peace and joy broke between them and god between them and one another between them and the world and things just fall apart but even then but even then in the midst of that brokenness God gives an unexpected blessing. And it's a verse that we often overlook when we read through Genesis chapter three. Let me put it up on the board here. Genesis 3:21, it says, "And the Lord God made for Adam and for His wife, garments of skins and clothed them." In the midst of that brokenness, God gives them this gift, you see? And, and, and there's a preview here, right? There's a preview of the gospel because life had to be taken to cover their shame, to cover their embarrassment, to clothe them from their nakedness. There's a preview of coming attractions in the coming of Christ right in that verse, right there. But God did that because he cares for them. Unexpected blessing, giving inescapable well-being. And that's just Adam and Eve. You 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 go and you read On to Genesis, there's about the life of Joseph. Uh, He's probably my favorite character in Genesis. He was abused by his brothers, sold as a slave to Egypt. He was put in prison, put in a dungeon, and, and all of a sudden, God just snatched him out of that unexpected blessing and put him next to the oval office of the Egyptian empire as he became prime minister to Pharaoh. He ended up rescuing his family including his brothers who had abused him and uh, uh, reunited with his father and family and not only uh, did he rescue them, he ended up rescuing the entire nation of Egypt when the famine struck and uh, later on his brothers their conscience is still racked with guilt, pleaded with him for forgiveness. He, he, gave, he gave Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, eyesight. We often think 20, 20 eyesight's the best. 50, 20 eyesight's better. Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, Joseph said to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for the good, for the saving of many lives. Now, now, Here's what that doesn't mean. It doesn't mean God poured this cement slab and you stuck your feet in it and messed it up while it was wet and then he had to go back and No, that doesn't mean that. It meant that God intentionally put Joseph on a path that included time in prison, time when it seemed like or felt like he was in the valley of the shadow of death. God intentionally did that so that he could then snatch Him out, providing inescapable well-being. See, you intended it, but God intended it for the good, for the saving of many lives. Do you see joy there? Unexpected blessing, inescapable well-being. And that's just the book of Genesis. Do you know what the primary account of joy is in the Old Testament? Uh, It's relevant, especially this weekend in our country, it's the exodus of Israel from Egypt. Huh? Yeah. Yeah, 400 years after Joseph died, uh, there was a, 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 another prophet that God called, Moses, to rescue his people who had become slaves. These guests of Egypt later became slaves of Egypt because of a Pharaoh who did not know of Joseph. And they cried out to God, and he heard their cry. You should read the book before you see the movie. Okay. The book's always better. I'm going to see the movie. I want you to know that. I've always wanted to see Batman give the smackdown to Pharaoh. I'm ready for that, right? Let my people go. I'm waiting for that. Really. I've been waiting all week to say this. (laughs) Okay, now I've said it. Let's move on. But God's people cried out. And Exodus 2.24 is a wonderful, beautiful, it's the little verses we often overlook. God heard their groaning. Anybody groaning today? Anybody feel like that God, anybody feel invisible to God today? I get that. Get this, God heard their groaning, God remembered his covenant, God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. We worship a God who hears, who remembers, who sees, and who knows. And he told his servant Moses to give this message to his people. And, and notice the number of eyes in these verses. I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outreached arm and with great acts of judgment, and I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will bring you into the land that I have sworn to give to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. God's gonna rescue, and he did. Through ten well-timed plagues, each plague, an assault against an Egyptian idol, culminating in Egypt's premier idol, Pharaoh himself. God liberated his people, and they left Egypt. Pharaoh would not give up so quickly. He chased them, and there, there in an account that uh, Bible teachers call the miracle at the sea, God's people before the Red Sea. Behind them, Pharaoh's chariots. They are hemmed in. There is no way out. They are in that very lethal space. God showed up and through Moses, the waters parted. And God's people traversed through that oceanic cemetery Through those lethal waters as on dry land, and when the very last Israelite passed through, the walls caved and they were free, and God had acted. Unexpected blessing, inescapable well being. See, there it is. I mean, we could just go through the entire Old Testament. We could talk about David and Goliath. We could talk about Daniel and the lion's den. Story after story after story. These are just little stories that just pile up in the Old Testament that all point to the big story. The big story that we read in Christmas time about the second Moses who would emerge, the true Moses. The baby who would change the world. Luke chapter 2, verses 10 through 12. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And what did those shepherds see when they arrived? Luke 2.16 says, And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. Talk about an unexpected blessing. Talk about the most unlikely people to bring the blessing of God. I mean, there's Mary. She would be forever known as the Jewish girl pregnant before marriage. Disgraced. Mary is the Hester Prynne. Of the first century. You know Hester Prynne. Of that classic uh, novel. The Scarlet Letter. And those little villages. Surrounded by other little villages. And you know how the gossip. Rumor mill. Works in those small spaces. Well, we don't know. Was she raped? Was she seduced? Either way. She, she's unfit for a righteous man like Joseph. Oh and then there's Joseph. Yes, he is called, he's named a righteous man. Well, what's he doing with someone like her? What's all that about? Talk about guilt by association. Joseph's paternity would forever be suspect, you see. And, and Luke gives us a little glimpse of this in Luke chapter uh, 3, verse 23. It's a small little verse, often overlooked. Listen to this. Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, and here it is, as was supposed of Joseph. There it is. Luke is, Luke is allowing us to feel the suspicion of Joseph's paternity. There's Mary, there's Joseph, and then what of the baby Jesus? He, he, would, be, he would forever be known in uh, those villages as a momser. An illegitimate child. And I like what uh, Bible teacher Scott McKnight writes. Three people with less than a top-notch reputation, a righteous man who chose to marry a disgraced woman, a woman pregnant before marriage, and the child forever branded as illegitimate. But right here, and here it is, right here among this little trinity of troubled stories, God begins his kingdom work. God floods us with his joy. How many of us would choose these conditions to create a spiritual, religious, and social revolution? A revolution of joy that began with the most unlikely family. And this child grew. And this child taught like no one else could ever teach and lived like no one else could ever live. Even the fiercest enemies of Christ could not accuse him. And so they had to trump up charges. and They had him arrested and tried in a kangaroo court. and They put him to death by crucifixion. And he cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus, the second Moses, Came to the Red Sea, hemmed in, hemmed in, by death and by soldiers. Only this time there was no rescue. Heaven was silent. Mark fifteen thirty-seven says, Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. Listen. The sea did not part, for Jesus, he died on the cross. The sea consumed him, but it did not keep him. And on that third day, God vindicated his son by raising him from death to life in a bodily resurrection and when we talk about the resurrection of Christ here I'm not talking about the spirit of Jesus teaching rising and living on even today I'm not talking about that I'm talking about witnesses who saw him die saw his body peeled from the cross saw that corpse placed in a tomb saw that tomb sealed and then witnesses from one to twelve to five hundred at one time had appearances of the risen Christ there he was standing, speaking, interacting, relating, eating. he was as real as Cleveland, Jesus alive and Matthew says that the disciples they, when they saw him there was this there was this Wonderful mixture of of joy and doubt, right? This is, pinch me, is this too good to be true? Is this happening? Yes. Yes, it is. God joyfully raised his son from the dead. And not because God liked Jesus more than anybody else and thought it would be a good idea to reward him for his morality. But rather, in some mysterious way, Jesus was carrying on his shoulders our destiny, our future, your future. For those of us who put our trust in him, we're united with Christ. We belong to Christ, no matter what our little troubled story is. We are at one with him. What's true of Christ? is true of us. And to think that Jesus did this out of joyous love. Out of joyous love. Hebrews 12 tells us, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy before him endured the cross. So it wasn't like God the Son said to God the Father, well, I'll go, but they better appreciate it they better know how good they ha- That's not it at all. Of course I will go. Of course I will be sent. It would be my delight to do so. Do you get that about God? Did Did anybody see the Passion of the Christ, Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ? Yeah, heavy movie, right? He- and then there's the last resurrection scene, right? Do you remember that? That's my only critique. The resurrection scene? Oh, yeah, let me explain. Remember when the tomb opens and Jesus resurrects and he gets out? Do you remember the look on his face? Very stoic. Right? Very stoic. I wish Mel Gibson would have done it Randy's way. Yeah. Stone move. Light peers in. Jesus gets up. And just before he leaves the tomb, he looks at the camera. He flashes a smile. And he winks. <laughs> huh? Joy.
1: Huh? Yeah.
0: I think that's what happened. But I could be wrong. But would it surprise you if that's what happened? Because this is the God we worship. Did you, did you get that? Our God is the most joyous God in all of creation. That's why our Advent reading in Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17, The Lord your God is in your midst. A mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Our God is a saving, rejoicing, quieting by his love, exalting, singing God. That's who we worship. You thought you came in here to sing to him. Oh, but the unexpected blessing is that he sings over you. He does, I tell you, He does. I think joy is one of the hardest things that we associate with God, you know. I I think it really is difficult for us to really get into the marrow of our soul that that God is joyous. And and you know why, don't you? It's because He's got so many things to worry about. Hmm. Listen, if you don't have a joyous God we better head for the hills. You think about the most beautiful sight of nature that you have ever encountered before in your life. I mean, just just jaw-dropping natural beauty. For Sarah and me, one of the places was the South Rim at the Grand Canyon in February. Sunrise. I mean, it's just... There was a whole crowd of people watching sunrise, and you would have thought you were in a sanctuary. Well, we were. It's just that beautiful. Just that beautiful. God sees that every day. We've got to buy special fish tanks for our exotic tropical fish. God sees it every day. He's the most joyous person in all of creation. That's who He is. Isn't creation itself why God feels so much joy? When you make something, when you create something, whether it's woodworking, whether it's a home, or whether it's a child, whether it's a grandchild. Huh? Why, why do you have so many pictures of that grandchild stuffed in your cell phone waiting for someone to say, oh, let me see your grandchild? You whip them out. Right? You look at it over and over and over again. You're in God's cell phone. so hard for us to believe that. This is the God of joy. This is who we worship. Creation is an act of joy. And so is recreation, who we are in Christ and what he's done. And here's the unexpected blessing, church. In Christ, he who is pure joy has given us his Holy Spirit, who is a deposit of what is to come. So the best really is yet to come. So when we sang that hymn a little while ago, Joy to the World, that's not about Christ's first coming, you know. It's not. It's about his second coming. It's about the return of Christ. Our entire life is an Advent season where we await that verse. He rules the world with truth and grace. And it will occur unexpectedly and suddenly. And it will provide inescapable well-being. It will be a day of joy. And though this world is broken and fallen, Christ is risen and seated. And all authority has been given to him. And so Jesus wants us now to live and conduct ourselves as if the new heavens and the new earth have already arrived. And so joy then is not only a feeling, but it's a way of life. It is a lens through which we see life. It's a lens through which we interpret life. We live as if Jesus is in the final state. Joy is living as if heaven has already arrived. Now. Now. How does that help me tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock? Here's how. Um, let me tell you a story. A story about Mabel. And you'll be able to connect the dots to your story. Mabel is a person that Thomas E. Schmidt met. Thomas E. Schmidt's a college professor. And Thomas Schmidt used to make it a habit to visit shut ins in nursing homes to bring joy. And one day he met a woman that he never forgot. Here are his words At the end of the hallway, I saw this woman strapped in a wheelchair, her face in absolute horror. The empty stare and the white pupils of her eyes told me she was blind. The large hearing aid over one ear told me that she was almost deaf. One side of her face was being eaten by cancer. She was 89. She'd been bedridden and by herself for 25 years. Her name was Mabel. Thomas Schmidt said, I don't know why I spoke to her, but uh, that day, it was Mother's Day, I put a flower in her hand, and I said, this is for you. Happy Mother's Day. And And then she spoke. And when she spoke, it was evident that although her body was rotting, her mind was crystal clear. She said, thank you so much. Thank you. She said, well, why why don't we give this to someone else and let them enjoy it? Because, uh, you know, I am blind. I'm not able to see. So let's go find someone. So he pushed her down the hallway in her chair found another patient. Mabel handed the flower to this other patient and said, here, this is from Jesus. And Thomas and Mabel became best friends. And then Thomas began to see that he was no longer helping Mabel, she was helping him. And once, Thomas had a very, very stressful week at work and so he went to Mabel and he asked, Mabel, what do you think of when you lie here all day? And she said, well, I think of Jesus. And he said, well, what do you think about Jesus when you think of Jesus? And she said, oh, well, I think about how good he's been to me. it has been awfully good to me in my life. She said, you know, I'm one of those types that's mostly satisfied. Lots of folks would think I'm old-fashioned. I don't care. But I'd rather have Jesus He's all the world to me.
1: And then she began to sing. Jesus is all the world to me. My life, my joy, my all. He is my strength. From day to day. Without him I would fall. When I am sad, to him I go. No other one can cheer me so. When I am sad, he makes me glad. He's my friend. Thomas Schmidt said,
0: This is no fiction. A human being really lives like this. I know. I saw her. Seconds ticked by and hours crawled and so did days and weeks and months. And years of pain without human company and without an explanation at all of why it was happening. As she lay there and sang hymns. How could she do this? And then Thomas Schmidt answers his own question. He says, the answer, I think, is that Mabel had something that you and I just don't have much of or enough of. She had power. She had the power of joy. This pervasive sense of well-being that in Christ all would be well. Lying in that bed, immobile, blind, deaf, she possessed the incredible power of joy from the God of joy. Can you imagine what your life would look like if you had, you know, an ounce of Mabel's joy? What would your life look like? How would that affect your relationships? How would that affect your conversations at home with your family, with your friends, at work? how would that affect your successes? Your setbacks? What would our congregation look like if Mabel's joy pulsated through the life of our church? I mean, how would we live? And how would our community look as a result of how we lived, you see? Is it possible for God's joy to so saturate our lives That we not only savor the joy, we share the joy. Because there's just too much for us to keep to ourselves. Guess what? There is a Leonardo Diaz in your life right now, right now, who is stuck and who is helpless. And who is hopeless. And who is freezing in a pile of snow. And he's given up. And he's waiting for your call. He's waiting for God's unexpected blessing. Which will give inescapable well-being. He's waiting.
1: It's your call.